It doesn't stop. We had a fantastic rally with our young people. We really did. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for pastors of churches and other places and preachers who still desire to impact the next generation of young people for the cause of Christ. You know, someone made a difference in my life standing behind a pulpit and holding youth rallies. Many of you, it was the same. And uh, I'm thankful for churches like ours who have a desire to impact young people. I really am. And uh, these young people were faced with some, some hard truths this, this weekend. You know, sometimes we think that when it's a youth meeting, sometimes we think, oh, well, it's games and it's fun and all these things. These young people were preached to this, this weekend. Truths that, I'll be honest with you, truths that every Christian has to face. They were confronted with truths about uh, things that we, even as adults, really need to take the time to consider. I encourage you, if you... Um, uh, if you didn't, Friday, uh, Saturday, Friday night we, we shared the link, and then you can use that same link on Facebook to go find Saturday mornings. And uh, truths like this, one question that was made, one, one statement that I wrote down that was interesting was, whose hope are you the only hope of them ever hearing the gospel? Who's the person that you're the only hope that they'll ever hear the gospel? Truths like this. Questions of saying, am I willing to go beyond into God's purpose for my life? Or am I happy just missing out on everything he has planned for me? Truths like this, that Satan would desire to distract and discourage these young people by getting them in a cycle of living in the past or focused on the future rather than living in the now, which is a present from God. The truth that each and every single one of us was created for a specific purpose. Because the purpose was the reason we were created. It wasn't like God created us and then there was some task given to us just to give us something to do. No, God had a task that needed to be done and he created us for a specific task in doing. Changes the way we look at things. And this morning, I want to look at a passage of scripture that is a passage that is always in the back of my mind. I've preached from this passage before. It's a passage God has used over and over again in my life that really conveys many of these very thoughts that I just spoke to you about. And I'm praying and hoping and asking God that before we leave this morning, each and every single person in this room will be confronted with a decision to make. So we come to church not as an obligation to do. Yes, the Bible tells we are supposed to come in fellowship with one another. And I am thankful, so thankful, for a church that I can come and I can be the weird brother John and fellowship as I am, comfortable with who I am and don't feel like I have to be someone else in order to fellowship with the fellow believers. So let me say first of all, thank you for accepting me for who it is. I know it's hard sometimes. I'm also thankful for a church where when we lift our voice in praise and worship, I know that people are worshiping God. You can hear it and feel it and you can understand that God is praising and worshiping. But I'm also thankful for a church that comes with an expecting heart, ready for God to deal with them. And I'll be honest with you, if you're here this morning and you're not quite ready to have God deal with you, while you're listening, would you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to just deal with our hearts? Our nation is in a terrible, terrible situation. 
and it will not be fixed in Washington, D.C., and Nashville will not be fixed at the Capitol Hall. If God is going to do anything in our world and in our nation, it will be done by Christians with a boldness to proclaim the truth. Not in a hateful way, but in a compassionate, loving, moved way. We have a generation of young people who are in a horrible mess. It was stated... Uh, as we were heard again, and I had seen it was stated that this is the saddest generation of young people to ever live. The most depressed, the highest statistical rate of suicide amongst young people and attempted suicide ever. And the reason why is because my generation and the generations before me We have failed to live the Christian life as God intended us to do it. I take ownership on that. But it's not over. The story's not done. The pages have not been written. But it is time to make a change in our own lives and in the lives of these young people. And here's what's amazing. We look at these young people and we always say this, oh, they're the church of the future. They're the church of today. Spend some time with these young people. You'll get fired up. You'll get encouraged. You'll be blessed. They'll make you want to do more. Go further. Go stronger. Go beyond. Would you take your Bibles with me and turn to Luke chapter number 5? Luke chapter number 5. I love this passage of Scripture. Such a simple story in the Bible, an account of what Jesus does and the disciples here talking to them before they're ever really disciples. One of my favorite passages here or verses from the Bible is that verse number four where it talks about launching out in the deep. I've had the opportunity to preach a message out of that verse in and, and this pulpit and I'm thankful for that. We're going to look at this passage and see something a little further down that It wasn't really until recently that God grabbed my attention by the exact wording of things later on in that same story. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And it came to pass that as the people were pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night. And have taken nothing, nevertheless at thy word I will let down the net. When they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ships, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished. And all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. 
And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. You know, it's an amazing story here. Sometimes when we read it, we can get, if we're not careful, uh, just blown away by the great and miraculous thing that God did, and he did here with the draught of fish. But we, were, we fail to see the purpose of what Christ is doing here. Brother Brown this weekend preached on a message that said uh, three simple words, I must work. He talks about the blind man there, and the disciples come and say, well, why, who sinned, this, this, this man or his parents? He goes, neither one of them sinned. He was born blind because there's a work that I must do. God's trying to do a work here. We get confused sometimes with that word master in verse 5. We look at it as master, knowing Simon would be a follower uh, of Christ, and he says the word master, we assume in, in ways that he's already following Christ. But that word master there is not Lord, it is not Savior, it is teacher. Simon knew that this man was a teacher. He had an understanding that he was a teacher, but he's not quite yet come to the understanding of who Jesus Christ really is. We'll see that in just a minute. But this passage really is going to confront us with a decision that each and every one of us have to make. There are many people in this room, and I pray that everyone in this room could say, I am a true believer of Jesus Christ. But can I be honest with you this morning? There may not be single one single follower of Christ in this room. You say, wait a minute, what do you mean? Doesn't it mean to be a believer is to be a follower? In this passage, there was a something that God shows us that if we're really going to be true followers of Christ, there's something we have to do. And the truth is, is it's one of the things that many of us fail to do. I want you to see three things with me, if you will, in the passage. The first thing I want you to see is the challenge. The challenge. It wasn't a challenge of these men's abilities. It wasn't a challenge of their knowledge. It wasn't a challenge of their wealth. It was a challenge of their faith and obedience to God's word. See, these were fishermen, right? These were men who knew how to fish. They, they had all the tools uh, available to them. The Bible says that, they, that Jesus came. They had ships. First off, it takes money to have a ship in those days. Some wealth. They, it wasn't a matter of whether they're wealthy. They had the tools. They had nets. They were washing it. They knew what they were doing. Uh, we find in other places in the Bible, the Bible tells us that these were fishermen. They knew it. Que- God was not, Jesus Almighty was not questioning their knowledge of how to fish or their wealth. He comes to them and he's challenging them on whether or not they will believe that he is the Son of God and will be obedient to what he has to say. Look with me in the passage here. It says now in verse 4, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drop. He gives him the word. He's been preaching the word. May I remind you, the Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. He's been preaching the word. He's been speaking the word. He is the word, the Bible says. And he comes here and he says, Let down your nets. And Simon says, okay, you're, you're a teacher. We've, we've toiled all night. But maybe you know more than me. 
You're a smart man. You're a master. You're, you're a teacher. So we'll do it. We'll go out and nevertheless at thy word. Simon's obedience is there. But I want you to look with me just a little bit lower there. It talks about when they had done this. Verse number 8. We see Simon Peter's demeanor, his whole response changes. It's not anymore master. It is now, depart from me, I am wicked. We'll talk about that in a moment because he's come to the realization that this is not just some teacher, but this is God. This is a holy one. You know, in our lives, we all are challenged at times about our faith and obedience to God. Can we be truthful with one another? That is sin, whether we'll take God at His word and be obedient to it. Think about the first sin, Adam and Eve. They were told, they were given the word, don't take of the fruit of the garden of the one tree. They had to only simply obey and by faith trust that what God has said was both right and good. And Satan caused them to doubt. Yea, hath God said? When we think about sin over and over again, we think about Cain and Abel and the sin that Cain committed in killing his brother. It wasn't because God had rejected Cain. It wasn't because... Abel was better. It was not because God liked Abel better. It was because Cain had rejected the truth that there had to be an offering of blood given. And he chose to do it his way. This is sin. Sin is simply saying, before God, my way is better than your way. I'll trust my word rather than trusting what you have to say is best and good and right. It's where we all fail. The truth is, we're all sinners. And because we're sinners, we sin. And there was a challenge here. Challenge given to Simon that this here is something you'll be faced with. And he did it. He obeyed. And by faith, he came to see Christ for who he was. Not only was there a challenge, but we see a confession. Verse number 8, look here. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at his knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He's not calling him master anymore. Look at what he's calling him now. Oh, Lord. I believe this is Simon Peter coming to know Christ as his personal Savior. He's gone from believing he was a teacher to believing now that he is God Almighty because he is confessing his sins And he is confessing that he is God. Peter was a smart man. He was a Jew. We like to think, oh, he was a a fisherman. He didn't know anything. He was a Jew among many Jews. And Jews knew that God was a holy God. If there's one truth that God had taught the whole uh, Jewish nation, it was that he was holy. Time and time again, he preaches, I am holy, you should be holy. This is my holiness. And he understood that he came to knowledge, this man is God and because I'm a sinner, you, you, he, when he's saying depart from me, he's not saying you leave. He's saying I'm not worthy to be in your sight because you're holy and God cannot look upon sin and my sin does not allow me and you to spend time together and I confess that I am a sinner before you. Make you think of Romans. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Can I tell you this truth this morning? There's a difference between having an understanding that Jesus is God. There's an understand, there's a difference between having an understanding that sin is condemnation. There's a difference between that and truly believing in your heart that if you don't run to Jesus Christ the Almighty, believe that He is God and that He died for you, that if you don't go to Him and Him alone, there is no payment for your sins. See, we use this phrase all the time, the difference between having a head knowledge and a heart knowledge. The truth is it's a difference between having a head knowledge and a heart's belief. They talked this week about that word must. It's not an option. It's not a chance. It's not an opportunity. It's not a suggestion. It is something that you have to do. Well, can I tell you this morning that if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, if you have never come to Him in true need, pleading to Him in faith, saying, God, it is you and you alone that I will see salvation, you must be saved. But praise God, our God is a God that says, for whosoever will, let him come unto me. He's a receiving God. He's a loving God. He's a good God. We're all sinners. And he says, I love you anyways. We're all sinners. Look, I'll tell you what, one of the things that frustrates me the most is when my kids disobey me. Right? Right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about they didn't know. And, and I'm talking about I tell them to do something and they blatantly disobey, right? God Almighty created you and we blatantly disobey His obedience and yet He still sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, can I tell you something? Your life could be changed today and for all eternity. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are dead in trespasses and sins. I was talking to the teenagers. We're walking through Ephesians in, in, in uh, Wednesday nights and we talked about that verse number 1 there, chapter number 2. And I said, those who don't know Christ as their Savior, they're alive physically and dead spiritually. We didn't commit sins before we were conceived in our mother's wombs. We, we, we begin to, to commit sins when we were born. That's how we're dead in trespasses and sins. And outside of having our Holy Spirit come inside of us and quicken us, we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says it this way, that the condemnation and the wrath of God is already upon us if we do not know Christ as our personal Savior. And that wrath and condemnation was poured out on Jesus Christ on that cross. As he willingly accepted our sins, he became us and our sins and had the wrath of God poured on him. And you can willingly accept what he has done for you and have the wrath of God moved from off of your account and have the righteousness of Jesus Christ placed upon it. Man, what a blessed thought. There was a challenge. And there was a confession. 
But this man had a true change. He didn't just go from being a non-believer to a believer. He had a change much different. There are many of us who, in this room, again, as I said earlier, are believers. We have come to that place where we have accepted Christ as our Savior. We believe and have accepted what He's done on Calvary's cross for us. We believe and have received salvation. Notice here in the passage, verse 8. He comes to Him as Savior. He is now a believer. The conversion has happened in verse 8, if you will. There. But the change doesn't happen yet. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught so they, uh, that were taken. And so it was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. He's come to know Christ. I believe in my honest opinion, and, and based off the Scriptures, what we see, what we know Romans says about confessing with your sins, believing in your heart, he knows Christ as his Savior. He is a believer. But he's not yet a follower. God's Word is divine. It's given to us in an order for a specific reason. Look with me at verse 11, if you will. And when they had brought their ships to land, notice the order. They forsook all and followed him. What made them followers was not the believing. You can be a believer and not be a follower. But you cannot be a follower of Christ until you have forsaken all. And I'm sad to say, this is where many Christians, people who come to know Christ as Savior, finish their journey with Jesus. Oh, I'll believe that you're Jesus Christ. I'll I'll have my sins forgiven. I'll go to church and, and I'll do a few things. But you want me to do what? You want me to forsake everything? Not some things. You want me to forsake all? You want me to give it all up? Why? I believe you're God. I believe you're the Lord Almighty. I believe that I'm a sinner. But why give up everything? To follow me. And many of us have an invisible cord, a chain, if you will, wrapped around us of so many things that we want to believe, we want to follow after Christ, but we can only get so far because we're not willing to forsake it all. It's interesting here the words God uses in His His Scriptures. He doesn't say forsake and follow me. All words are inspired, the Bible says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We believe every word and all the words are very important and powerful. And the Bible says here that they forsook all. You know what that tells me? They gave up the boats. They gave up the fishing. They gave up their dreams. They gave up their wealth. They gave up their time. They gave up their money. They gave up their hopes, their aspirations. They gave up their work. They gave up their past. They gave up their future. They gave up their families. They gave up their despair. They gave up their heartache. They gave up the the pains in their past life. They gave up all their achievements. 
They gave up all their glory. They gave up everything that could be said of us in this life. Their memories, their desires, their family. Just go on and on. What are the things in your life, if you think about it, I believe the Holy Spirit right now calling to our hearts, what are the things that we need to give up? And they gave it all up! Because they truly believed this was God and to follow Him was far greater. And in America, we have so many believers and very few followers. Blew me away. I was reading this passage. I was like, oh man, here's Peter and here's John. And these are people, they're the disciples. We found out, young people, what does disciple mean? Disciplined one. I heard somebody say it. Multiple people said it. They became disciplined ones to follow after him. Look with me in this passage real quick. Uh, in, in the book here, look. Go back one chapter, will you? To chapter number 4. Look at verse number 38. I'm talking about Jesus. says, He arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Now this Simon here is the same Simon we've been talking about, right? And Simon's, what's the next word? Wives. What does that tell us? Simon wasn't a single man. He wasn't someone who lived off on his own. You know, we've never really probably thought about that. Here Peter goes for three years of God's earthly ministry following after Jesus Christ. And where's his wife the whole time? He forsook her. Now listen, husbands, I'm not saying leave your, leave your wives. I'm not saying leave your children. I'm not even saying quit your job. I'm not saying give up what God's doing. What I'm saying is, is if we don't start living a life where we wake up in the morning and the thought on our mind is I'm to live this day for God Almighty. I'm not to live this day to see how much money I can make. I'm not today to see if I can get a promotion. I'm not living this day to see if I can be happy. I'm living this day for God and for God Almighty until we get to that place in our lives where we're willing to forsake all. I'm sorry, but you cannot be called a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm broken. Because how many days do I wake up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ today. I'm the youth pastor at Gateway Baptist Church. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And God in his heaven shakes his head and said, Son, you've missed it all. But you don't understand. I'm, I'm a tithing member of the church. I go to church. I attend. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That makes me a follower, right? No. He did not call them followers until they had forsaken all. So many of us have so many things. We need to take the spiritual chisel in our hand a spiritual angle grinder, if you will, and start cutting link by link off that chain. Man, I think about it. I can't stop but to think about the past, the plans for the future, their jobs, their money, their families, their hopes, their wants, their dreams, their reputation, their social standings. So many things they gave up because they came to the truth and saying, this is God. Peter here goes, depart from me. I, I can't be seen. I can't be among you. You're God Almighty. And Peter, God says to him, it's okay, Peter. I've forgiven you for your sin. 
but from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And no doubt in Peter's mind is like, this God, this Almighty One, this Holy One, is willing to look past my sin and still use me to do something for Him. What a great God. There is no greater joy in life than serving God. There's really not. I'm having the time of my life serving God. I told these young people, man, they stir me up. They fire me up. We go to these games and people are, they're play, or go to these rallies and they're playing games and it's exciting, it's fun. And they're singing and it's exciting and fun. But you want to know what stirs me more? When I watch one of these young people, preaching's done and they're at a beeline to the altar. You know what breaks my heart? To think that there's mamas and daddies and church members that these young people are looking at who are never moved or rarely moved or sometimes moved. Because we've reached a point in our Christian life where we're only willing to go so far. And can I say something to you parents and grandparents and adults and young people who are moving forward? Go beyond. Go beyond. Man, what would it hurt if Clarksville looked at Gateway Baptist Church and said, those are a bunch of weirdos over there. Why are they weird? Because, man, they are all in for God. But, man, something's happening over there. God's moving. God's working. Had the privilege of being with several men this week who know us and follow us on Facebook. Brother Stephen Russ, who's been here to preach. And others who don't know us. And you know how many times I heard this as I was standing maybe by Brother Russ or by Brother Stephen Scoggins or someone who's familiar with our church. Man, it's so exciting what God's doing for you all at Gateway. Man, it's amazing what he did with that building. And I bet you you guys are excited. It's a constant reminder God's been good to us. Far, 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 far better than we deserve. Not only as a church, but as individuals. Would you take your Bibles with me very quickly to Luke chapter number 14? In case you were saying, yeah, but surely they were already followers. Can I show you a passage of scripture that this is not me saying this? In fact, Jesus God Almighty said the same exact thing. Luke chapter number 14, verse number 26. Jesus Christ speaking and says this. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest happily after he had laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or, or what king going to make war against another king sitteth down not first and consulteth whether he be able with the ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a gray way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. I'm not just standing before you trying to say something that I think is true. I'm not trying to take a passage of Scripture and say something and trying to stir you to a response. What I'm doing is falling humbly on my face with you and saying it's time that we have some believers who make the determination I need to forsake all because he's worthy to be followed. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to do something very specific here. An invitation that is very different from what we may be used to here. I don't want to embarrass anyone. I don't want to call anyone out. And that's not my plan. I want to pray for each and every one of you. Many times we say we're a believer, but we're not following. But there may be someone in this room this morning who the Holy Spirit now is speaking to and saying, you're not even a believer. The Bible says that we're all sinned and because we're all sinners and because of our sin, we are separated for God from all eternity but that our sins can be forgiven. And so I'd like to ask the question with heads bowed, eyes closed, and no one's looking around. I just want to pray for you. You say, Brother John, I'm not 100% sure I die and go to heaven, but I am 100% sure I do not want to die and go to hell. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to come to you. This will not save you. But it does let me know I can pray for you. Is there anyone here that could say that? I I don't know that I'm 100% sure I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand just so I could see it? I see that hand. Can I tell you something this morning? You can know for sure. You can know 100%. You can get that settled. In just a minute... I'm going to invite you and everyone to come to this altar. And when I do, I'm giving you an opportunity to come and let a a person take the Bible and show you from the Word of God how you could be saved. I hope you will. If you're here this morning and you know in your heart, I'm a believer, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, may I say praise the Lord. But can I ask you a question that we all need to face this morning? Hopefully you're asking yourself this right now. Am I a follower? Some of you got to come to this altar because you know you're not a follower. But what do you need to forsake? I'll pray. And when I'm done praying, I invite you to come. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, help us all. 
to forsake all and follow you. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, we pray that this would be the day that they come to know you as Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May stand with us, head bowed, eyes closed as the music plays. Altars are open. Thank <laughs> you.